Hi folks, this is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another episode of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. This is episode 43 of the Jesus Society Podcast, and it will, it will, I'm recording this early, but it this will post the week of Christmas. So, um, in the midst of all the, the hustle and the bustle of shopping and cooking and traveling and wrapping and uh, visiting with family and all the things that we love about um, about Christmas, but that are still often very stressful and time-consuming for a lot of us. Um, I want to talk about um, I want to talk about the birth of Jesus and what it what it represents. Um, this is this is the time of year, after all, when uh, uh, people, even people that don't normally think about God, uh, find an opportunity to think about God. Um, you know, we, we joke sometimes in churches about the, the people that show up for church on Christmas and Easter, right? So um, people find themselves thinking about God at this time of year, maybe more than any other other than Easter. So, so I want to talk a little bit about the birth of Jesus and what, what, it, what it means to me. Um, and I want, to, I want to do that by, by thinking about some of the names um, of Jesus, first of all. Um, so, you know, the Bible, uh, particularly the New Testament, but even the Old, um, has a number of names for Jesus, for the Messiah, Right. And many of them are, are nothing less than majestic and magnificent. So there's names like the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the, the Light of the World, the Resurrection and the Life, the Bright and Morning Star, the Alpha and Omega. And those, those phrases, those names, just seem to stretch the boundaries of the human language in an effort to, to capture something of the, the, the splendor and majesty of Jesus. And yet, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, there's a name there that, if we really kind of understand it in its first century Jewish context, seems anything but majestic. The name is simply Jesus. So, so here's the context here of that passage. Matthew um, tells us that uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, has told Joseph that she's pregnant and that the baby inside her has been conceived of the Holy Spirit. And um, uh, there was a comedian once that was telling this story. I know you remember who it was, but you know he portrayed it as, uh, you know, when when Mary said that to Joseph, Joseph must have thought, right. <laughs> Right, um, you know, it's it would be an unbelievable, a little bit of an unbelievable story if your girlfriend came to you and said, "Listen, I'm pregnant, but I just want you to know, I didn't sleep with anybody else. It's it's of the Holy Spirit, you know." And you would be tempted to say, "Right, right." But anyway, in Matthew one, we're told that Joseph is a righteous man, and because he didn't want to disgrace Mary publicly, he decided to just divorce her. Secretly, now they weren't married, but they were. So, in Jewish culture, when you um, when you were engaged, when you got engaged, when and it was often an arranged marriage, that had a certain legal force behind it. So, you were in effect 
married even though you weren't married, right? So if you want to break that, it's a, it requires kind of a, the same thing as a divorce, okay? So Joseph didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to just quietly divorce her, okay? But before Joseph has a chance to do that, we're told that an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And he said, Joseph, son of David. So first of all, he reminds Joseph that he is a descendant of David. And that's an important detail. David was the king, the first real real king of Israel. Saul was the first, but um, David was the, the king who was a man after God's own heart. Okay, And David is the one who built Israel into a, a, a fantastic kingdom and the the strongest nation on earth at the time, right? So everybody looked back to David as the epitome of what kind of what Israel should be. And so this angel, the Lord, reminds Joseph, you're a descendant of David, and that's, that's important. But the angel says to Joseph, in addition, he says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and he will save his people from their sins. So you can't hardly argue with an angel of the Lord, right? Um, But in the midst of, of telling him that, the angel says to Joseph, you are to name him Jesus. Now, maybe I'm wrong here. And I'm, I'm inferring some things, so you can take that for what it's worth. But I kind of have an idea that that must have struck Joseph as a bit odd. I mean, this is, this is the Son of God. This is the, the, the Messiah. This is the one that they've been waiting for forever. The one who will, he's just been told, will save his people from their sins. Couldn't there be a more uh, appropriate and majestic Um, important-sounding name than Jesus. Because, you see, Jesus was a common name. Uh, In the Gospels, it is his most commonly used name. Uh, Almost 600 times in the Gospel, we read that the Messiah is simply called Jesus. Now, I realize that today the name Jesus might carry a certain degree of of weight and majesty uh, to it. It's not at all a common name in the English language. In, in Hispanic culture, you see it a little more frequently, but you just don't see it much in, in the English language. But it was a very common name in the Bible. Uh, Jesus is the Greek form uh, of, the, of the Hebrew names Joshua or, or Jeshua, or Yeshua, uh, both familiar and quite common Old Testament names. Um, there were at least five high priests in the history of Israel uh, known as Jesus. Uh, in the writings of the Jewish historian Josephus, uh, he will refer to about 20 people uh, during this time period who were named Jesus. And those were just the people that were notable enough to have been mentioned, right? Uh, the New Testament itself speaks of uh, Jesus Justice, uh, who was a friend of Paul, that's Colossians 4.11 mentions him. Uh, the sorcerer of uh, Paphos is called Bar-Jesus, which would be son of Jesus, Acts 13, verse 6. 
Some even say that Jesus was the first name of Barabbas, uh, the one who was uh, spared by Pilate instead of Jesus. And if that's the case, Pilate would be asking the crowd uh, the question, who would you like me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus called the Messiah? You know, you can pick your Jesus, right? So so what's what's the point of all this? Well, the point is that Jesus could have been a, a John or a Joe or a Bob or a Sam. If, if he were here today, I, I really doubt that he would distance himself with some kind of lofty name like, uh, you know, Reverend Holiness Angelic Divinity the Third, or anything like that. No, when God chose the name his son would carry, he chose a common human name. He chose a name so typical that it would appear two or three times on any class roll. That is what John meant when he told us in John 1.14 that in Jesus, my word became flesh. Jesus was, was touchable. He was approachable. He was reachable. And even more importantly, he was ordinary. If he were here today, you probably wouldn't notice him as he walked down the street. He wouldn't turn heads by the clothes he wore or the way he combed his hair. When, when he introduced himself, he would likely just say, just call me Jesus. The point is, he was a regular guy. He was a friend who you could talk to. Somebody you'd invite to weddings and parties because he was fun to be around. In other words, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't so heavenly-minded that he was no earthly good. He enjoyed life. He attracted people to himself. We see that throughout the Gospels. And we saw that so beautifully depicted in The Chosen that we've been talking about for a number of weeks now. Those who knew him best remembered him simply as Jesus. Now, let's think a little bit about some of the implications of of this. So when God chose to reveal himself to mankind, how did he do it? Through a book? No. To limit God's revelation to a a, a cold list of do's and don'ts is a tragic way of viewing God, and yet some people do that. Um, Some people do that with the Bible. They see it as, as nothing more than a, than a legal, legal code or a, or a blueprint. They, they read about God, but they never really come to know him personally or to experience him relationally. That's important to God, I think. So when God chose to reveal himself to mankind, he did so through a human body. The tongue that called forth the dead was a a human tongue. The hand that touched the leper had dirt under its nails. The feet upon which the woman wept were calloused and dirty. And and his tears at the the tomb of Lazarus or, or as he wept over Jerusalem or even in the Garden of Gethsemane came from a heart, a human heart, as broken as yours or mine has ever been. So that is what the angel means 
when he tells Joseph in Matthew 123 that people will call this Jesus Emmanuel, which is a, a fascinating Hebrew word that means, and don't miss this, Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. And that's also what the Hebrew writer is getting at when in Hebrews 4, 15, and 16 when he says this. This is the way the contemporary English version translates it. We have a great high priest who has gone into heaven, and he is Jesus, the Son of God. That's why we must hold on to what we've said about him. Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are. But he did not sin. So whenever we're in need, we should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God. There, we will be treated with undeserved kindness and we will find help. So here's the, here's the thing about all this, folks. We serve a God who wants, wants to live among us. And because that's so, and because that's who Jesus was, people came to him. My, how they came to him. They came at night. They reached out to touch him as he walked down the street. They followed him around the sea. They invited him into their homes, and they placed their children at his feet. Why? Because he refused to be a statue in a cathedral or a priest in some elevated balcony. He chose instead just to be Jesus. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but there is not a hint anywhere in the Gospels of a person who was afraid to draw near Jesus. There were those that mocked him. There were those who were envious of him. There were those who misunderstood him. And there were those who revered him. But there was not one person who considered him too holy, too divine, or, or too celestial to touch. There was not one person who was reluctant to approach him for fear of being rejected. Don't forget that. That's important. Tattoo that onto your brain to be viewed the next time you find yourself wallowing in your own failures. When you feel so overwhelmed by the presence and, and, and pressures of this world or the unyielding demands of trying to be perfect. Remember it when you find yourself in a cold church listening to a dead sermon about God and how you don't measure up. And don't forget, if there's any distance between us and God, it's us that have created it. Jesus is the one that builds the bridge. Tragically, for, for some people, Jesus seems distant. And there's, there's really nothing that saddens me more than that. We've, we've got a flawed, a terribly flawed view of God so many people have. And yet it's really, it's us who create that distance. 
But none of this has to be as hard as we sometimes make it, folks. And I am, I'm certainly not trying to take anything away from the deity of Christ, okay? He was and is God. Don't, don't misunderstand me here. He, Jesus is God and all that that means. But he is God with us. And he is so very, very good. Through this baby, through this Emmanuel that you'll see in nativity sets all, all around the world this time of year, God became human. And now he is approachable and touchable and accessible. And he loves you very, very much. If only we could just see that and open ourselves up to him. So here's the thing, folks, as you, as you celebrate Christmas this week, Don't lose sight of the fact that God himself has entered our world. And he has entered it as one of us. And he entered our world to offer us hope and peace and joy and love and redemption through a relationship with him. A relationship through somebody who understands us a relationship that will change our lives immeasurably for our good. God sent Jesus, as John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 18, to show us what he is really like. We understand God by looking at Jesus. And we just simply cannot be casual about an event like that. So think, think about those things this, this week as you gather with family and as you enjoy some time off and as you give each other gifts and as you enjoy fellowship with people you love. Remember the big deal in all this. Remember that this baby is a God who desperately wants to be with us. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week. As always, we'd appreciate it if you'd tell others about the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, wherever wherever you go. Um, please visit our, our Facebook page for the Jesus Society podcast. We've also got a group. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can find those on Facebook by just searching Jesus Society Podcast. Um, check out our website, thejesussociety.com. Um, and as I talked about last week, we've got a Patreon page. If, 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 if you decide on your own that you would like to kind of support us, you can go there. It's www.patreon.com slash thejesussociety. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a blessed Christmas. And remember, always remember, you are greatly loved.